0: Some people say that our political situation could not get any worse, but I am an optimist. I think that our political situation could get much much worse and Representative Michael McCall is here to explain how. It's not only a threat to these these children who are being exploited, mm-hmm. but uh, and they know the, the laws in our country. But it's also a threat to Americans of this population coming in. And, and you know, Biden has cut off these agreements with Mexico, Central America, where they'd have to stay in Mexico to apply for asylum. And now they're... I've seen this before, Martha. I, I predict this. And by summer, you're going to see, as my governor just said, uh, probably, you know, uh, somewhere around a million people trying to get into this country illegally. And as I said before, it, it's ironic that you can get into this country illegally Uh, Easier than you get a tour of this capital uh, right behind me. Now, on the bright side, we already have about a million illegal aliens coming in every year. So that's not what's different. I think what's different here is he's saying it's going to be a million sort of all at once. Like the chains are all broken, no restraint left, country being flooded with foreign nationals. So much to look forward to. I'm Michael Knowles, this is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show amid our immigration crisis. My favorite comment yesterday is a, is a more serious question actually from Carol who asks, if these minors are unaccompanied, how can they be separated from their parents? Hmm? That's actually a good question. Uh, pointing out that unaccompanied means you know, you're know you alone. You don't have an escort with you. Uh, the, the answer to this is that so many people are entering our country right now that you have unaccompanied minors. You have uh, minors who were separated from either their relatives or who know, the coyotes who brought them over or people who are posing to be their relatives. It's just an absolute mess, and you're probably only hearing about it on shows like this one because the mainstream media simply do not want to cover this sort of thing. But it doesn't bode very well for the health and wellness of our country. And if you are concerned about your health and wellness, you got to check out hymns. Forhymns.com is all about men's wellness. Need help with ED, hair loss, or have a cold? Hims is here for you. Hims makes it easy. Hims connects you with a licensed medical professional online who can prescribe FDA-approved prescription medication to treat ED. You get the same active ingredient as that expensive little pill, but without the expensive price tag. No embarrassing conversations, no expensive appointments. Just answer a few questions online about your medical history, and a provider will confidentially review. If approved, your medication is shipped directly to your door in discreet packaging. Shipping is free. No more searching online for answers to questions about ED or sexual wellness. Just go to your Hims account. Ask a medical professional you can trust. Why live with ED when the solution can be so simple? I know a lot of guys don't want to talk about that sort of a problem, but it f- afflicts a lot of men, and there are some simple solutions here. Try Hims today by starting out with a free online visit. Go to forhims.com/michael for your free visit. That's forhims.com/michael. F O R H I M S.com/michael. Prescription products are subject to medical provider approval and require an online consultation with a medical provider who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. See website for full details and safety information. Remember that is forhims.com/michael. We have this major issue at the border. It's not only because Joe Biden is president these border surges happen under just about every single administration. What is different is how the administrations deal with it. So Donald Trump took a much more serious stance on this than his predecessors, where he formed agreements whereby illegal aliens coming from South America and below Mexico would have to apply for asylum, say, in Mexico. They would not be able to Uh, just go walk on right through and then pretend to be seeking refuge in the United States when really they're just economic migrants. Uh, Donald Trump uh, instituted many other policies that discouraged this kind of illegal crossing of the border. What Biden is doing is the opposite. He's taking away the Trump safeguards and he's creating new incentives for people to come illegally. What happens when you incentivize a certain behavior? You get more of that behavior. Which is why Jen Psaki, our favorite current White House press secretary, refuses to give the numbers on the people crossing illegally.
1: You confirm that number. That's a very important number. Uh, I, I, we've been very clear uh, that there is an increase, that there are more children coming across the border than we have facilities for at this point in time. Uh, those numbers are tracked by the Department of Homeland Security. So I'm certainly, I'm just suggesting that you talk to them about specifics. But talk to them, Jen. They won't confirm the numbers. Well, I, I would encourage you to go back to them and ask them again. We're not going to confirm them from the White House. It's not our program. It's the, the Department of Homeland. Security. the department is the White House encouraging the department to release those numbers? And in the spirit of transparency, that the secretary here at this point. We, we certainly encourage transparency, but what I also think is important is to talk about what the root causes are here and what we're doing from a policy standpoint to try to address the challenges uh, that we're facing and that these kids are facing as they come across the border.
0: Okay. Can you just give us the numbers? No, we can't. This uh, You got to talk to Homeland Security. Yeah, we talked to Homeland Security. They said, we got to talk to you. No, yeah, no, I know though, but we can't because look, it's not our program. I mean, I know that we are the leaders of the executive branch. I know that we are running this entire branch of the government, but no, you got to talk to the little bureaucratic agency because they, because we report to them because what do we have to do? What, come on. We're just figureheads over here. We're not, we're not actually running the show. Okay. Well, can you just look, we know you have the numbers, We know DHS has the numbers. Do you want DHS to release the numbers? Well, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying necessarily they should don't, please don't interpret this to believe that we want you at DHS to release the numbers. Why can't you just tell us the numbers? Well, because we want to focus on solutions. Well, okay, the first part of finding a solution is diagnosing the problem. Give us the numbers. They won't do it. They won't admit these record numbers. They won't even admit that what is going on at the border constitutes a crisis. They want no labels. Is this a crisis at the border?
1: Look, I don't think we need to sit here and put new labels on what we have already conveyed is challenging. What we have conveyed is a top priority for the president. What our policy teams are working on every single day. They Obviously, there was a trip to the border uh, this weekend. They are working uh, over the course of every day uh, since then on putting in place policies that can help address what we're seeing and and help ensure that we are uh, keeping these kids safe and moving them as quickly as possible from uh, border patrol facilities to to shelters.
0: Okay, so she's got her story and she's sticking to it. She's not going to give you the numbers because she's focused on policy solutions, as though you can't do both at the same time say, okay, here's the problem and here's the solution. She won't call it a crisis, doesn't want to admit that it's a crisis because she's so focused on policy solutions. She doesn't want them to think about what she might call the problem itself. So let's talk about the policy solutions. That's what, that's what Jen Psaki wants to talk about. What are those policy solutions? Why kids in cages, of course.
1: CBS News Tonight has learned there are more than 3,200 unaccompanied migrant children in customs and border protection custody, a total that has nearly tripled in the last two weeks. For now, these children are being held in facilities that are managed by Customs and Border Protection, but they are meant for adults. We know that several federal agencies right now are working together on this issue. And late this afternoon, CBS News got a statement from the Office of Refugee and Resettlement that says, in part, they are looking at several options for long-term and short-term solutions that will help safely take care of these children.
0: This... News report is an absolute masterpiece of propaganda. It's become sort of tedious, even to say. Imagine what the news report would be under the Trump administration. But just just actually pay attention to what it was here. Obviously, under the Trump administration, if you know, and any border agent sneezed the wrong way, this was genocide, and Trump is literally Hitler, putting people into camps or something. But in the Biden administration, where they are actually putting more kids into more cages than Donald Trump ever did. Cages, by the way, that the Obama-Biden administration built. In that world, we have record number of people, she acknowledges. Then we have uh, minors being put in border facilities managed by Customs and Border Protection. Not, they're not cages. They're, they're facilities, border facilities managed by CBP and then if that's the first little part of the report, immediately she goes, and they're working really hard and they're really trying to get the kids out. And I, we talked to one of the officials and he promised they're going to do a really good job. And so that's what they all say they're going to do. And we, you know, goodness gracious, we believe them. So that's the, that's the news. Not what, not what's happening. That's a little minor part of the news, but all those promises that we're getting, because they're really good guys in the Biden administration. They're they Yeah, they're putting kids in cages, but. They, you know, they don't want to, you know, they, I mean, they're doing it, but they don't, they'd rather not, you know, and they're really the first thing they can. They're going to stop doing that. So good on them, right? Imagine, imagine that. Never admitting nothing. An old sort of uh, Italian American New York bit of street wisdom is to deny until you die. (laughs) Do not admit anything. Just, just keep a straight face and say, absolutely no problems here. Don't answer questions. Joe Biden was just at some small business in Washington, DC, and he was doing a little bit of a photo stop. Joe Biden has now gone 49 days, I guess it is, without a press conference, by far the longest in modern history for a president to go without a, a direct press conference. Biden is asked, very simple question, What's your comment about the crisis on the border? His press aides all but defenestrate the reporters who dare ask that question. Right. And then if I could just. Right. Press, let's go, you
1: guys. Press, let's, go. Let's, let's, go. Press, let's go, you guys. Come on, press. We're gonna move out. Let's go, press. Guys, let's go. Come on, press. Let's go. Come on, press. Crisis at the border, sir. Let's go, you guys. Come on. Come on, let's go. Thank you guys.
0: Come on, let's go. Get out of here. Get out of here, you reporters. You don't get to do that. You get you ask those questions of Trump. You don't ask those questions of my guy. Joe's just there kind of looking dazed, kind of wandering around by the cash register, huh? Where what? Why am I in there in a general store in Washington DC? Oh, well, look at that. Is that a yo-yo? Oh, well, look. Uh, he has no idea what's going on. He doesn't know what's going on at the moment. He doesn't know what's going on at the border either. And that's why he won't give an answer. And by the way, he is smart not to answer, and certainly the aides who are advising him are smart not to let him answer. There's no good answer he can give, so he just wants to move past it. You know, this is a, this is a problem, especially for like Christians in politics, because I think the impulse is apologize, admit what you were when you were wrong, have humility, and that's all very important. That's what we all try to do in our personal lives, and and we try to do it as much as is possible in our political lives, but we're living in this graceless culture right now where the minute that you give in to the mob, just even like a tiny little bit, you're done. You're toast. There's no, there's no apology that will ever suffice for them. So I think it's very important to, to recognize what the political context is and what you can do here. There are, there are a couple governors who have, uh, in the Democratic Party who have apologized when there have been accusations against them. And they're much the worse for it. And Joe Biden, we can make fun of him and he's dazed and confused all day long, but that guy is still the president somehow. Somehow that guy is still the president. Pretty amazing when, you know, when you don't have the the wherewithal necessarily, all your, all your pistons firing. Speaking of pistons firing, you got to go check out Rock Auto rockauto.com is so much easier than walking into a store and someone demanding quick answers to questions like, hey, Michael, why are you so handsome? No, that's not what they ask. What they usually ask is, hey, is your, is your Honda, you know, a GT7 or a Z25? I don't don't know what my Honda is. It's, it's like, uh, it's a sedan, right? Uh, Then they go into the back, they order the part online, they charge you twice as much. Don't do that. That's absolutely crazy. Go to rockauto.com at your desk, in your pocket. rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. You know, it's not going to be this kind of gimmicky thing. Oh, you got to order it on Tuesday to save X percent. No, reliably low prices, the same prices for pros and do-it-yourselfers. The website is so easy to navigate, and this is the most shocking part. Even I can do it. They're a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Then write Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S in their how did you hear about us box so that they know we sent you. Gavin Newsom, we call him Nusselini back in my former state of California. Gavin Newsom, unlike Joe Biden, is a politician who has occasionally answered his critics, answered some of the accusations against him, and uh, what's he gonna get for it? Well, he's about to be recalled. Here is Newsom addressing his state. You know, I, I know our progress hasn't always felt fast enough. And look, we, we've made
1: mistakes, I, I have made mistakes, but we own them, we learn from them, and
0: we never stop trying. After all, that's, that's the California spirit. We're bent, but not broken, bloodied, but unbowed, resolved to make brighter days ahead. And not to let the pain of last year to deter us from the hopefulness
1: of tomorrow. Look, the state of our state, it remains determined. I
0: remain determined. And I just want you to know, we're not going to change course just because of, of a few naysayers and, and doomsayers Look, we're not going to change course just because our, we're on the wrong course, okay? Now, we're not going to decide to change our strategy just because our strategy isn't working, all right? I am the absolute glibest politician in America, Gavin Newsom. And I, I simply don't possess the uh, intellectual or political faculties to change anything. (laughs) Not at all. All right. You know, we make mistakes, but we own our mistakes, except I'm not owning my mistakes because I'm not changing course at all. (laughs) What, what is that kind of a glib attitude going to get Gavin Newsom? It's going to get him recalled. Unless the Democrats can pull some miracle and invalidate half a million signatures on these petitions, which maybe they can, it would be pretty rich because now we're, we're told that anytime you invalidate any ineligible voter, uh, you know, from the voter rolls, that that's uh, voter suppression and you're a racist and it's un-American, but sure, they're going to try to do it. It just, it doesn't seem like it's going to work out particularly well for them. Now, will anyone beat Gavin Newsom in this prospective runoff? I don't know. I don't know if they, they can, but it certainly would appear to be what he's aiming at. A lesson, a lesson from these politicians, the clever ones and the less clever ones, do not apologize to the mob. It's very good to apologize in good faith to people who are going to accept your apology in good faith in your, in your life. But when the mob is coming after you, you really can't apologize. I, I saw this yesterday with this poor schlub this, this fellow Winston Marshall, who is a musician in Mumford & Sons. I actually really like Mumford & Sons. I know, maybe I'm just a, a child of the, I, I was a teenager in the two, 20 teens, so I, I really liked Mumford & Sons. But uh, this guy, I think he's a good musician, and he espoused a very interesting point of view the other day on Twitter. He said, congratulations, Andy No. Finally had the time to read your important book, You're a Brave Man. You know Andy No a friend of the show, a friend of mine, he wrote this book about Antifa. He has been targeted more than just about anybody by Antifa. He suffered a brain bleed because of these Antifa militants, and he's got an excellent book out there uh, detailing it because the narrative that we're being told about Antifa is very different from the reality. We're told that Antifa is just an idea. Well, ideas don't give you brain bleeds. So this Mumford and Sons musician reads the book, says, okay, you know, I, I enjoyed the book. And then the backlash came. They were very, very upset that he would read a memoir by a guy who got a brain bleed by leftist terrorists. And they're even more upset that he would endorse the book. So he issues an apology. Mr. Mumford & Sons writes, over the past few days, I have come to better understand the pain caused by the book that I endorsed. I have offended not only a lot of people I don't know, but also those closest to me including my bandmates. And for that, I'm truly sorry. As a result of my actions, I'm taking time away from the band to examine my blind spots. For now, please know that I realize how my endorsements have the potential to be viewed as approvals of hateful, divisive behavior. I apologize as this was not at all my intention. Oh, buddy, 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 buddy. I know exactly what happened here. And you are getting very, very, very bad advice. Here's what happened. This guy, Winston Marshall. I'm just, I I know that I'm just pulling this off the top of my head, but I'm, I would be willing to bet a lot of money that something like this is what happened. He comes out and he sends a tweet and he says, oh, I enjoyed this book. Wow, this is is a very interesting book. You should consider reading it. Then maybe a bandmate or two, maybe someone and maybe some marketing gal in the publisher's office or some, maybe some people around him get upset about it. Then the, the Twitter trend happens. And when you trend on Twitter, you feel like the world is collapsing and around you. Then he's getting the deluge of hate, the deluge of mean tweets and emails. And people who are in politics are accustomed to this. We get that sort of thing basically every single day. So you, don't, you just don't take it all that seriously. You know how to deal with it. If you're a pure entertainer, you're really not used to that kind of thing. And so it's very jarring when it happens. Now, because we're living in the cancel culture where the left attacks people and ruins their careers for saying perfectly ordinary things, this guy, Winston, is in total survival mode. He says, oh my gosh, I'm starting to lose things. This is bad. This has never happened. I've just got to stop the bleeding. I've just got to stop whatever's happening. And some unscrupulous people are going to go in and they're going to say, hey, you've got to issue a perfectly unqualified apology, and you've got to step away for a while, but then it'll all be better. Then you'll get your career back. Then you'll get your reputation back. Then you'll get invited to all the same parties. Then you'll get all your money back. And this poor guy believed them, but it's not true. It's not true. Look, uh, in my own career in politics and media, I've had some moments like this where there's a lot of pressure to cave into a mob. I know basically everybody who is in uh, politics and media has had these moments. Do not do it. Do, it is, you only lose by doing it. You, you can't, unless you feel you've really done something wrong and egregious, and then, what, you know, and you've got to deal with that on your own. But if you're just talking about something like this, you can never, ever win by giving into the mob. And the people advising you to do so are, are lying to you. They're not, that you, th- you think that you can preserve something that is already lost you think that you can get them to like you again. You won't. You won't. I, I would encourage this fella, Mr. Marshall, if he listens to this show, if he reads Andy Noah's book, there's a fair chance he listens to this show. Uh, don't do it. Reverse course, stick to your guns, go out there and defend Andy now At least you'll keep your dignity. You'll, you'll keep more of your career, I think, if you end up doing that, if you show that you've got a spine. But even if you, even if you're going to, you're going to lose your career either way at a, at a a certain level of this kind of a a moment, right? That seems like the likely thing. And so at least keep your dignity. That's what I would do. Speaking of changes of heart, Milo Yiannopoulos, Milo Yiannopoulos, very famous right-wing provocateur for sort of famously gay. Uh, Milo is now ex-gay, according to Milo. Milo is saying he's ex-gay. He's, I think he's gay married, but he's like, they're just not, not doing that anymore. They're living together as roommates and people are making fun of Milo for this. Is this a troll? I don't, maybe it is. I don't, you know, Milo is sort of a famous performance artist. So maybe he's just kind of, he's just doing it as a publicity stunt or something, but I'm going to take it seriously. I'm going to say he actually is going to be ex-gay now. What does that mean? He's not saying that he's no longer sexually attracted to men. He's not saying that he is now sexually attracted to women. I mean, just read the interview. He's explicitly not saying that. He's saying it's very difficult for him, and he still wants to sleep with his housemate, as he now calls him. Uh, But he's saying I am choosing not to indulge in those desires, and people are very angry at Milo for this. Why would anyone be angry at Milo for this? Why? What what is the pro? What is it? Any of your business? Just like people always say, what is it your business if? Johnny wants to sleep with Jack. Well, on the flip side, why is it any of your business if Johnny doesn't want to sleep with Jack? If if we're told that we now can construct our own sexual identities, why is it the case that the the uh, sexual identities can only go in one direction? Why is it that it can only go in the direction of indulging one's natural desires? Why can't it go in the other direction too? If some guy comes out and says, "You know, I've done that a lot. <laughs> I've done it for a long time." But now, as I've been thinking about it and praying about it, I, I don't want to do that anymore. I, I, my sort of mind does not want to do that. My sort of more fleshly desires do want to do that, and so I'm going to try to tame my fleshly desires because that, in my view, is, is the right thing to do, and so that's what I want to do now. Why would anybody be angry about that? The interview, it's really worth taking a listen to the the interview. You know, we will, uh, we'll get into that interview in just a moment because I just brief, uh, it, first of all, it's a very funny interview. And, uh, but also he, he is dealing in pretty serious ideas. So we will delve into Milo's complicated <laughs> sexual thought uh, in just a moment. First though, you got to check out Ben's show. Uh, ben, you know, Ben has something of a relationship with uh, Piers Morgan, goes back a number of years now. Piers Morgan just lost his, uh, his job for going after Meghan Markle. Ben's going to be talking about that. Also, You heard us announce it on election night. Now the wait is over. Candace Owens is premiering her new Daily Wire show, Candace. You know, I've known Candace for years. I've known Candace since before she was Candace, back when she was red pill black on YouTube, doing a small YouTube channel. I think Drew Clavin sort of discovered her in a way. And she was coming on my show back in those days. And we all knew she was going to be a huge star. And she is a huge star. Candace is known as the founder of Blexit, uh, trying to change the narrative surrounding America's racial minority communities. She's the author of the New York Times bestseller, Blackout, how black America can make its second escape from the Democrat plantation. You can join Candace every week. She covers a whole host of different topics from the latest trends to hard hitting news. Get to know the real Candace, funny, authentic, and insightful. Candace will premiere on Friday, March 19th, Feast of St. Joseph, and will be exclusive to our Daily Wire members. If you are not already a member, head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe, use code Candace for 25% off. Find out why the left loves to hate Candace by going to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code Candace for 25% off. We'll be right back with a lot more. Milo Yiannopoulos is now ex-gay, he says. Here is the interview. It's in LifeSite News he opens up and he says, secular attempts at recovery from sin are either temporary or completely ineffective. Salvation can only be achieved through devotion to Christ and the works of the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. So Milo saying, I'm Catholic now and I'm I'm reverting to my Catholic faith. And so I'm going to stop doing all this other stuff. Is this just a troll? if it is a troll, it's a, it's a funny troll, right? I mean, it is, you've got this guy who is as flamboyantly gay as anybody in public life. And now he's saying, nah, I'm not doing that anymore. Is that a troll? I actually have a reason to think that it's not a troll because uh, being a Catholic myself, Milo and I run in some of the same circles. I don't really, I don't know him, but I, we do know a number of people in common. And uh, I've been hearing about this for a while that Milo is sort of re-exploring his faith and sort of taking his faith, Catholic faith, more seriously. So I've been hearing about this for months, maybe more, maybe even a couple years at this point. Uh, So I I guess I was not quite as surprised to see this interview as as some other people were. He goes on. He says, I have enjoyed a a lifelong affection for the absurd and the outrageous. So part of me gleefully anticipates the day I can seize the moral high ground, however briefly, to denounce others for failures of piety and sobriety. I hope people will support and pray for me. If for no other reason than they share my delight at the prospect of Milo Yiannopoulos furiously and indignantly railing against the homosexuals for sins of the flesh. That's a very funny line. (laughs) Sort of when you see these funny lines, you start to think, hold on, is this whole interview just another, another performance? But even if it, I mean, it's a funny interview regardless even if it is, you know, Milo is very famous for trying on different personalities. One day he's a buttoned up tweed wearing Brit. The next day he's wearing, you know, sort of big stunner shades and a giant oversized t-shirt and, you know, he's kind of more hip hop or something, right? He he tries all these things on. This does relate to, forget the sexual question for a moment. This does relate to the deeper religious question, which is that in Christianity and, and Judaism for that matter, God, God is, I am, right? What is God's name? God responds, I am that I am. And Christ in the New Testament says, before Abraham was, I am. So he's invoking that he is saying, I, I am God, right? By saying, I am the, I am, I am the, I am being itself. When a culture finds its identity in I am, then Things generally sort of are going in the right direction. When a culture such as ours casts away God and religion, you are left with a rather pitiful question, which is, who am I? You hear this kind of popular phrase, well, I've got to find myself. You know, who am I? One day I'm this, one day I'm that. Especially you see this with teenagers, right? They're always trying on new personalities, trying on new identities uh, because they're sort of adrift. They don't, they're not, they're not basing it in this. eternal fact of, of being himself. Then Milo concludes his interview. He says, they say, if you let one sin in, others will follow. And now I truly know what that means. As I've begun to resist sinful sexual urges, I have found myself drinking less, smoking less, you name it. I confess my weakness for designer shoes and handbags is yet to dissipate, (laughs) Uh, but I'm coming to realize however slowly that lust per Augustine, is disordered desire for all sorts of things, not just NFL players. <laughs> and uh, so what, what he is espousing here is a very Catholic point of view. And the way this story is going to be read is that he's got some hang up or, you know, Christians have some hang up on homosexuality, but it's really not the case, at least in the traditional Catholic sexual ethic. It's not just, it's not just Milo's sexual desires that are off limits. It's a whole host of them because we, the the Catholics believe that sex has to be ordered toward a purpose, right? So those sort of things that you do when you close the blinds and you're alone at night, you know, that, that's off limits. Uh, Having sex without the uh, possibility of creating life, without, without, I'm sorry, without the physical possibility of creating life, that's off limits. Uh, It's a very, It's a very uh, focused kind of (laughs) sexual morality. Chesterton observed, he said, you know, the the one thing that kind of got me curious about the church is that it would get attacked for opposite reasons. On the one hand, it's too ascetic, right? And just on this particular rigorous sexual morality. But on the other hand, it's too luxurious. The gold of St. Peter's and all this beautiful art and all the fancy clothes and everything gets attacked for opposite points of view. I mention this whole story not because I am particularly interested in Milo's sex life, I mention it because of a political question that it brings up. It it reveals the left's real view of sexual preference and sexual openness and sexual tolerance. We are told in this society of ours that we must tolerate people's sexual behaviors regardless of our own moral views. Whatever they want to do, we should tolerate that. Okay, I, I see the argument for that. So what about Milo's? So what about my, we, if you're telling me, fine, I'm, I'll, I'm, I'm in. We're going to tolerate people's sexual behaviors, even though, even still, there are some things that are off limits, but who knows how long they'll be off limits. We're going to tolerate people's sexual behaviors, whatever they want to do, not, not ours to judge. Well, then what about Milo's? Milo is saying, this is, this is my preferred sexual behavior now. I don't, I want to be chaste and basically not engage in sex because his sexual desires are such that he doesn't want to indulge them. Isn't that good? Isn't that a good thing? Isn't that according to, I'm not even saying according to the Catholic logic. I'm saying according to the logic of the left. Isn't that a good thing? But it never cuts that way because the principles that the left is espousing are are really not principles so much as they're creating a a new order of society. It's not these universal principles of tolerance and acceptance, just a new order for society. It reminds me of people attacking Mike Pence for not cheating on his wife. Do you remember that? (laughs) They were really upset a few years ago because it came out that Mike Pence would not have dinner dates with women uh, when his wife wasn't present. I kid you not, I had liberal friends of mine. This was before the Me Too movement. They were angry with me. They said it's awful that Mike Pence won't go on dinner dates with his staff and with other women. It's not fair, it's sexist. Then 5 seconds later the Me Too movement starts. And Mike Pence is looking pretty good, right? But no, cuz he's kind of damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. There's no there's no fair standard that's going to apply. Now speaking of the Me Too movement, a sixth woman has come forward to accuse Andrew Cuomo of sexual harassment. This woman is upping the ante here. She's saying not only did he wink at her from across the room, not only did he buy her a sausage and pepper sandwich at some political event, no, he touched her inappropriately. She does not go on to explain how she touched her inappropriately. We don't know who the accuser is. The identity is concealed. It's not quite clear why it's all happening now, right? Why, why this trickle is so slow in this sexual scandal for Andrew Cuomo. Uh, But there's another one coming out against Cuomo. My take on this, I've told you this from the beginning, is I suspect that most of these sexual claims are overblown and opportunistic and a distraction from the real scandal. The way that you can know this is true is describe to me the sexual allegations against Andrew Cuomo. Take 20 seconds. Describe to me not who and when, what are the actual allegations. Can you do that? I, I can't really. Other than the video of him handing a sandwich to a reporter and joking about the sausage. I, what, I can't name them. It's just so, and I don't, look, I don't have any particular love for Andrew Cuomo. He should be out of office. But the way they're doing it is so dishonest. The reason that guy needs to be out of office is because he killed thousands of elderly New Yorkers not because of a coordinated political attack on the guy to say that he's a creep or something. He is kind of a creep, but that's not what this is about. (laughs) And there's another scandal brewing, by the way. It's not just the elderly. Andrew Cuomo now has another COVID scandal going because he had an order directing group homes for people with mental disabilities to accept COVID patients. This order was issued April 10th, just weeks into the state's lockdown in an effort to uh, combat the pandemic. And uh, the, the issue never, the, the order never expired. So people who have problems, people who have mental disabilities specifically were used as a, as a place to send all the the COVID patients at their group homes. I have relatives who work in these group homes. I have a little bit of an inside track on this, a little inside knowledge of what's going on. This is a real scandal. Thankfully, it didn't spread nearly as much in these group homes as it did in the nursing homes. Nearly 34,600 34, people live in these kind of group homes. 6,900 contracted the disease. I mean, it, thankfully, not a ton died. Over 500 died. I mean there' a lot of 552 residents of these, these group homes for people with intellectual impairments died. Where's that scandal? No, because we're all talking about the hot dog. I want to talk about the hot dog. I want to talk about Milo's hot dog. I don't want to talk about Andrew Cuomo's hot dog, for that matter. I want to talk about the actual scandal here that the Democrats are doing everything they possibly can to distract from. But maybe Cuomo's going to lose his job either way. Speaking of brash people losing their jobs, how's that for a segue? Piers Morgan. Uh, Piers Morgan has quit his job on Good Morning Britain. Piers Morgan, you know, he was the, the host after Larry King left CNN. Then that fellow party went over to Good Morning Britain. I kind of get a kick out of Piers Morgan. He's this sort of tabloid figure in, in Britain. You can't really pin him down. And sometimes he's really, seems really right wing. Sometimes he seems really left wing. So Piers rightly went after Meghan Markle in recent days. And, uh, a fellow broadcaster on Good Morning Britain, started viciously attacking Piers Morgan about it. Piers just walked off set. And I understand that you don't like Meghan Markle. You've made it so clear a number of times on this program.
1: A number of times. And I understand that you've got a personal relationship
0: with Meghan Markle or had one, and she cut you off. She's entitled to cut you off if she wants to. Has she said anything about you since she cut you off? I don't think she has, but yet you continue to trash her. Okay, okay. I'm done with this. No, no, no. Sorry. No, uh, abso- sorry. Do you know what? That's pathetic. You can trash me, mate, but not my no, own show. No, no, talk. no. See you later. I'm being... Sorry. Can't this do this. This is absolutely diabolical behavior. You. He, I'm sorry, but Pierce spouts off on a regular basis. You can trash me, mate, but not on my own show. I, I got to give the guy credit for this. I, got, I usually, 99 times out of 100, storming off set looks really bad. Part of the reason it looks bad is you have to take the wires off and you're kind of fumbling for a while and you can hear it on the mic. Piers, I guess, was wearing a wireless mic. I don't know about the earpiece that he had in, but he did it so gracefully. He's sitting there, kind of taking, very, you know, British, just taking his, taking the licks, you know. And then the guy's going, you, and you, she cut you off, yeah. And she, yeah, you're a jerk, you know, and you're trashing her. And, and he's just, there, he goes, okay, bye, see ya. Just walks off set. Uh, the reason I find this of any interest to our political questions here, is because for a long time, the, the right in this country, not the left, but the right, has espoused this idea that we should always just engage in the free marketplace of ideas. We should, you know, we should just take any sort of criticism. That's good. That's fine. Because eventually the good ideas are going to win out. And that's totally cool. We're anti-censorship, right? You know, We love free speech. And so what Pierce did is sort of opposed to free speech because he just walked, walked off the set. I think he's actually showing us something valuable here. We are under no obligation because of our love of free speech or civil discourse. We are under no obligation to engage in bad faith conversations and bad faith debates. What was going on on Good Morning Britain, it was not a good faith debate. It was not, you know, Piers, I don't think it's right for a newsman to say this sort of thing about the princess or the ex-princess. And I think this was very personal. It was not in any way intended to persuade or to, and this guy I don't think was willing to be persuaded. He was saying, yeah, she cut you off, loser. Yeah, she. Yeah, you're, she's cooler than you. You're not cool. Yeah. And so you and you're a jerk about it too. And he just says, oh, I, oh, this is what we're doing. Okay. Well, I have, I have no, no reason to engage in that. I think conservatives ought to do that a little bit more. The left does it to great political effect, but what do we do? We conservatives, we just always, we go back on the left-wing news shows. We have the left-wing news outlets moderate our debates. We just got the news yesterday from the RNC debate commission that they're not going to have left-wing outlets moderate the Republican presidential debate. Good. Finally, we're, we're understanding this. We're understanding that a free marketplace of ideas, in that sort of marketplace, people have to set the rules of the marketplace. And if we're going to engage in commerce, we can't engage in fraud. We want to engage in good faith commerce here, both in, you know, in the economic marketplace and also in the marketplace of ideas. Speaking of bad faith, deliberation, and discourse, don't say I didn't tell you so. You know how much I hate to say I told you so on this show. During the election, during the 2020 election, and then especially right before the runoff in Georgia, Joe Manchin, one of the two semi-moderate Democratic members of the U.S. Senate, Joe Manchin from Virginia comes out and he says, hey, I am not going to let them get rid of the filibuster. I'm not going to let the Democrats get rid of the filibuster, which is the only protection we have against their extremely radical agenda to not only upend the country, but also maybe give themselves basically permanent political power at the national level. I'm not going to let them do it. Take it to the bank. I, Joe Manchin, I'm not going to let them do it. So I asked Senator Cruz about this on our show verdict. I said, what's your read on Joe Manchin? They said, oh yeah, Joe Manchin, you know, he's definitely the most, most moderate or one of the most moderate Democrats but he's never cast a decisive vote. When it really matters, when Manchin's going to decide, he goes with his party. He doesn't go with his conservative constituents. He goes with the radical democratic party. So after months of hearing Joe Manchin, good old Joe Manchin's going to save the filibuster, prevent this deluge. Joe Manchin starts to crack on the filibuster. I'd make it harder to get rid of the filibuster. I'm supporting the filibuster. I'm going to continue to support the filibuster. I think it defines who we are as a Senate. I'll make it harder to get rid of it, but it should be painful if you want to use it. You just you should make make sure the place works to where okay, I want to work with you. There we go. There it is. Oh, I want I love the filibuster. Oh man, the filibuster and me, we go way back. Yeah, oh man, I would love her. I would never cheat on my filibuster. No way. I totally but But we shouldn't use a filibuster that much. We should make it hard to use the filibuster. We should reform. We should change. We should, this freaking jerk. And he's already, he's getting more questions about this. He's saying, well, you know, my, my, my views are changing a little. Well, you know, can't count on him, guys. Can't count on him. The filibuster is, is really great because it restrains the passions of the Senate, which is supposed to be a more deliberative body than the House of Representatives. This virtue of restraint seems to be a common common thread here. Whether we're talking about uh, the southern border, whether we're talking about Milo Yiannopoulos, (laughs) or whether we're talking about the filibuster in the Senate. Restraint is a good thing. Conservatives understand this. Conservatives uh, recognize we're not supposed to indulge all of our intense passions, especially in politics, because then we would be revolutionaries and radicals and we'd burn the whole place down. We don't want to do that. We realize that you need some restraint. Well, what the Biden administration would appear to be doing is taking away all of the restraints, taking away restraints at the border, taking away restraints in our elections, taking away restraints in our lawmaking, taking away restraints and restraints and restraints. That is not going to look great in uh, 2024 or 2022 for that matter. Because now they're, they're trying to pass through this bill HR1, which is going to upend the election system, give Congress a huge amount of authority over congressional elections. Gosh, what could go wrong there? And take away a lot of election integrity measures. So what are we even looking at? What's our chance that we can win in 2022 or 2024? It's looking worse and worse by the day. Now, before we go, I've been told that it is Women's History Month. Uh, I have not covered this on my show. This is a great oversight. Uh, Michelle Obama is slated to be inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame later this year. Michelle Obama, uh, according to the National Women's Hall of Fame, Michelle Obama has emerged as one of the most influential and iconic women of the 21st century, and uh, therefore she's going to be inducted into the Women's Hall of Fame. Uh, what what has she influenced? That would be my first question. What has she done? I'm not, I'm not even attacking Michelle Obama. She's the first lady. Nobody voted for her. Nobody would have voted for her. What did she? What was her influence? What is iconic? That's a word I basically would strike from the English language if possible. It's so overused unless you're referring to icons, I don't, I don't know that one should use iconic. Influential. In a way, she has had influence. Do you remember when her husband was running the first time and uh, then, and he wins, and she said that when the American people elected her husband, that that was the only time in her adult life that she was proud of her country. That, well, I guess that does exert some influence because disdain for one's country, for, for this country, has expanded quite a lot. Uh, is she responsible for that? I don't know. The, the notion that we need to have a National Women's Hall of Fame is uh, really rich. One, because it suggests that they can't compete in like the National Hall of Fame. You know, They can't compete with the men. But then also because at this very moment, we're being told that they have to compete with men. <laughs> we're being told that women in, in high school track have to compete with men. We're being told that there's no difference between men and women, and a man who puts on a dress is therefore a woman and entitled to beat a a girl at track and win her scholarships and take her spot in college. That is incoherent. The left doesn't really matter or doesn't really mind this because, for the left, it's the imposition of their rule is all that matters. The coherence of the rules doesn't really matter. You see this. Uh, understood in George Orwell's 1984, you see this going on right now. This is another question of restraint. You need to have restraint or things don't make sense. It's It's the constraints that give coherence to the whole body. The borders of the country give coherence to the country. If you don't have borders, you don't have a country. The constraints of biological sex are what give coherence to men and women. If men and women are identical, if there's no difference between them, then there's no such thing as women get rid of the National Women's Hall of Fame. They don't exist because we're all just one kind of blob. So much for the restraint. Was that optimistic? I think, I think that is optimistic because of how much further (laughs) down the slippery slope we have to fall. That's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. Pavel Vidovsky, editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico, audio mixer, Mike Coromina, hair and makeup by Nika Geneva, and production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, Piers Morgan loses his job for ripping Meghan Markle, The media rushed to defend awful New York Times pseudo-reporter Taylor Lorenz. And Disney's CEO says the Gina Carano firing wasn't political. The woke are in control. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen.